For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You are now listening to This Week Explained. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explain. Now, you may be wondering why you're hearing my voice right now. Well, unfortunately, Tiana is not feeling well. She has tested positive for COVID a couple of days ago. Uh, She hasn't even been able to leave the room since Sunday. So please send thoughts, prayers, good vibes, whatever, anything, everything her way. She continues to heal. Hopefully she will be back next week. But please... Do not click off of this episode because we have a lot of information to get into and you won't want to miss out. So we are going to talk Russia, Ukraine. We always do that every week. We're also going to talk Israel, Hamas. Those are the two big conflicts going on right now. But the news of this week is that the United States and the United Kingdom carried out strikes against the Houthis in Yemen. We will get into the implications of that, why the decision was made all the news that you need on that situation but also Iran seized an oil tanker in the Red Sea we'll get into that the implications of that how that's going to change the geopolitical landscape and speaking of changing the geopolitical landscape next week the Taiwanese people go to the ballot boxes they are having a presidential election and China's trying to meddle in it so we'll get into that Then I want to talk about Ecuador, which I thought would have been what the news of the week was, because they sort of descended into chaos after gangs within the prisons started to uh, take control of some of the prisons there. They did uh, a couple of other things, and we'll get into all of that and why uh, why it's important and and what's going on in South America. We're going to finish up with a new intelligence report that has stated that uh, there is a uh, high terror alert as Hezbollah could be planning a terrorist attack within the United States. So we'll get into to all of that. But first, let's get into Russia, Ukraine. We always start with uh, with Russia, Ukraine. I know it's not the top priority for most around the globe right now, but it is important in the geopolitical realm. So Russia continues its air assault on Ukraine while the ground is still frozen over. So not able to move around too much. So they're taking the fight through the air. But an interesting article did come out this week with analysis on how the war in Ukraine ends. Not surprisingly, the core forecast regarding Russia's war in Ukraine suggests a protracted conflict with varying intensity for years to come. And that'll likely settle into a frozen conflict, meaning the two forces will be sporadically fighting, but there will not be much movement that's going on. Um, Peace negotiations are unlikely due to both sides perceiving the war as existential, and neither Russia nor Ukraine is expected to achieve a decisive victory on the ground. 
His baseline forecast anticipates a gradual dis- diminishment of conflict intensity, uh, and then it'll begin to concentrate in the Donbass region. Now, there are alternative scenarios, which include Ukraine being pressured to negotiate uh, with a possible... So that is possible because of that Western support that's drying up at the moment. And uh, Russia's consolidating control over eastern and southern Ukraine. Less likely is uh, that there would be a humiliating defeat for Russia, which would trigger a regime change. Uh, now, the situation's still unpredictable. As I always say, we're humans. We, you, humans are unpredictable. You just don't know what they're going to do. And there could be even more alternative scenarios. And that could come to light depending on who becomes president uh, of the U.S. in 2024, how the Russian elections turn out. But for right now, those two militaries are probably in for a long, drawn-out war. So let's move on to Israel and Hamas. Israel continues its ground operations in Gaza, and those citizens that left the turmoil are now returning to a much different home than they left. This has prompted a genocide investigation by the International Court of Justice. So South Africa has formally accused Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians and has urged the United Nations top court to order an immediate halt to Israeli military operations in Gaza. Israel obviously denies the allegations. That didn't stop South Africa from presenting evidence at the International Court of Justice. South Africa claims a pattern of conduct which amounts to a plausible claim of genocidal acts. The court is considering South Africa's request for provisional measures to stop Israel's military campaign in Gaza with a full case that will likely last for years. And so we're seeing yet another protracted war uh, with no end in sight. Now, let's get into the news of the week. After months of warnings, the United States and the United Kingdom, along with allies in Australia, Canada, the Netherlands and Bahrain have gone on the offensive against the Houthis in Yemen. The strikes were a response to repeated Houthi drone and missile attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. The military strikes, ordered by President Joe Biden, involved fighter jets and Tomahawk missiles targeting more than a dozen Houthi locations within Yemen. These chosen targets included radar systems, drone storage and launch sites, ballistic missile storage and launch sites, and cruise missile storage and launch sites. So the Red Sea, just one of the most, the world's most vital waterways, is very important. And so this escalation of military action underscores the strategic importance of that location. The decision to launch military strikes represents a shift in the Biden administration's approach to Yemen. The ongoing Houthi attacks on commercial shipping compelled this coalition attack. This is despite earlier efforts to avoid direct engagement in the conflict due to the risk of escalation. The Houthi attacks are viewed as having Iran's support. That's the important part here. This further complicates the situation. As we've said before, the Houthis are an Iranian proxy. And so there is an issue with possibly getting Iran involved in a conflict in the region with the United States. So the strikes in Yemen could have broader implications for regional dynamics, particularly considering Iran's influence in the Middle East. That means the situation in Yemen remains fluid. So further Houthi attacks or responses from the international coalition could lead to an escalation of the conflict and a broader regional conflict. Now, the risk of drawing the U.S. and its allies into a prolonged engagement 
in Yemen is a significant concern around the globe. So with that said, let's shift our focus to Tehran and Tehran's motivations in all of this. It appears they are strategically testing boundaries. I kind of say it's like toddlers that are pushing their parents' limits. The parent says, no, you can't do that. And the toddler sees how far they can go. What's the objective here? They want to gauge how far they can push the United States without facing significant consequences. This not only serves Iran's immediate interests, but provides a playbook for other U.S. adversaries, most notably our wildcard, North Korea. The Iranian regime seems to be walking a tightrope, seeking to understand the limitations of the U.S. response without directly engaging in conflict. Its delicate balance, and if successful, could shape the dynamics of the entire Middle East region. Now, the question on everybody's mind, how will the U.S. navigate this strategic dance? And what are the potential consequences of these calculated moves? Well, with the launch of this major offensive against the Houthis, we could be on the precipice of a broader global conflict in the Middle East that then holds the possibility of starting a new conflict spilling over into a major global war. This is very important. This is why all of these chess pieces are are very, very important, and we need to keep track of that. Now, speaking of major global conflict, Taiwan is going to be holding elections next week in the first of many presidential elections that could change the geopolitical landscape. Right now, polling suggests Lai Xingti from the Democratic Progressive Party, or the DPP, holds a slight advantage over Hao Yui from the KMT Party. Right now, China is employing a multifaceted strategy to influence Taiwan's presidential election, combining information warfare, political co-optation, economic pressure, and military intimidation. Now, as Taiwan is a contentious geopolitical issue, the outcome of this election has broader implications for regional stability and international relations. Right now, Chinese propagandists have shifted from this clunky misinformation to a more sophisticated campaign tailored to a broader Taiwanese audience. What that means is that regionalized or local disputes within Taiwan are amplified, contributing to increased polarization within that country. China is also accused of funding a digital media company that runs Facebook ads and pages critical of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, meaning you can now see who China does not want as the next, as the continued president of Taiwan. This effort that they are doing, uh, that China is participating in, involves uh, paying influencers to spread narratives, undermining Taiwan's democratic process, so that no matter who wins the presidential election, it can look like the elections were stolen from someone else. On the military side, China's military, the People's Liberation Army, has also increased military incursions near Taiwan, emphasizing its commitment for reunification. They've sent high-altitude balloons uh, and also launched unexpected satellites, which all of this activity serves as a gray zone uh, to kind of de- demoralize Taiwan's population and create a sense of vulnerability to have the people maybe turn their opinions on China and say that, well, actually, you know, we should reunify with China because that is the way to stay safe. 
It's going to be very important to keep an eye on this. Now, the election outcome is going to impact relations across the Taiwan Strait. We're not just talking about the island of Taiwan. We're talking about the Indo-Pacific as a whole. It could potentially escalate tensions. The stance of the next Taiwanese president towards Beijing will influence China's approach. It's going to influence U.S. relations with China and Taiwan. And this has implications for regional stability and global supply chains. Now, moving on from the Indo-Pacific, let's go over to South America. And this is what I thought would be the story of the week. That was before the decision was made to perform strikes on the Houthis in Yemen. And that event is that Ecuador finds itself descending into chaos after gangs have attempted to overrun the country. So what's happened? Well, right now, what we are seeing are uh, several prison riots, kidnappings, and also a new studio that was taken hostage after the mysterious disappearance of Adolfo Macias. He's also known as uh, Fito. He's the leader of the powerful Los Choneros gang. Uh, the escalating violence prompted Ecuadorian President Daniel Noboa to declare an internal armed conflict within the country and impose a nationwide state of emergency. How did all this come about? Well, this is because of the government's decision to transfer high-profile convicts, like we mentioned FIDO, to a maximum security facility. That triggered uprisings in several prisons and is contributing to the current chaos in that country. Analysts and security experts estimate that a significant portion of Ecuador's prisons are controlled by gangs. This presents a challenge for the government's efforts to restore order. Now, President Noboa declared a 60-day state of emergency, implementing an overnight curfew and granting the military authority to patrol streets and take control of the prisons. The president labeled the gangs as terrorist organizations and ordered the armed forces to neutralize them. This move has led to widespread shutdowns of shops, schools, offices. It's causing chaos and fear among the population and is going to have a severe economic problem. It's going to cause a severe economic problem within that country. Crisis in Ecuador does have the potential to destabilize the region, uh, especially considering Fido's ties to Mexican cartels. So it's not just an internal struggle. We could see a broader regional conflict in South America, just what we need, right? Another conflict. Now, the, the government's declaration of an internal armed conflict and the deployment of the military may have short-term stability benefits, but a long-term solution requires addressing the root causes of gang influence in prisons and also the corruption within the government. If you do not fix the corruption in the government, you are going to lose the support of the people. Finally, I want to get to a recent intelligence report that shows Hezbollah is planning multiple terrorist attacks, including attacks within the United States. So American intelligence officials are now warning of a potential risk of Hezbollah attacking the United States. Real quick, who is Hezbollah? They are yet another Iranian proxy that is in Lebanon right now. They are on the border of Israel, and they have been taking shots at Israel while Israel is dealing with Hamas. So, like I said, Iranian-backed militant group. They are actually assessed right now to have greater capabilities to strike inside the United States than other terrorist groups like the Islamic State or ISIS. Intelligence officials suggest that there's an increasing risk 
of Hezbollah targeting U.S. personnel in the Middle East, but more so, there is the potential that Hezbollah launches attacks within the United States. Tensions in the Middle East, particularly involving Hezbollah, have prompted U.S. officials to work on de-escalation efforts. Uh, one thing was the United States sent Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Israel to discuss a possible ceasefire between Israel and Hamas that could prevent further escalation in the region. Hamas does have a history of targeting Americans and U.S. interests overseas, and there are concerns about potential miscalculations in the current regional context. Meaning, if Israel continues their fight against Hamas and U.S. continues that support for Israel, Hezbollah could take the fight not only to Israel, but to the American people. That's why this is very important. Um, the U.S. does support a plan to move Hezbollah forces away from Israel's northern border, but those peace talks have stalled amid profound tensions in the region. Top intelligence officials emphasize Hezbollah's significant capability overseas to perform terrorist attacks and an increased motivation to now perform those within the United States following the 2019 strike that killed Hassim Soleimani, the leader of the uh, Iranian military, and also because of Israel's actions within Gaza. So the situation still very dynamic. But like I said, this is something that's worth keeping an eye on as the Middle East has become, yet again, a hotbed of violent activity in the last few months. After that, that is it for me. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you found it informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please follow us on Instagram at Oakwin Analytics. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. And until next week, stay safe out there.